Functional abdominal pain disorders impact millions of children worldwide. Functional GI disorders are very common in worldwide. They affect almost 20% of the general population. With few effective treatment options available. There's a heavy focus on drugs that do a lot of things to children, and that is problematic. Until this successful, innovative, alternative therapy. Auricular neurostimulation is based on an electrical stimulator that delivers stimulation to the outer ear and improve pain and functional GI symptoms. And later, discover how it's impacting and improving lives. It is life-changing and amazing. Anything I can do right now was very difficult or impossible for me to do without this device. Learn about auricular neurostimulation inside this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Welcome to CTSI Discovery Radio. I'm your host, Brian Belmer. CTSI Discovery Radio is brought to you by the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin. The CTSI is a consortium of researchers, doctors, scientists, and others representing eight institutions, including the Medical College of Wisconsin, Milwaukee School of Engineering, Marquette University, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Children's Wisconsin, Freighter Hospital, Versity Blood Center of Wisconsin, and the Zablocki VA Medical Center. The CTSI works collaboratively across all of our member institutions. Our mission is advancing health through research and discovery. We'll do anything to protect our children from sickness or pain. But sometimes there's nothing parents or even doctors can do because medical research hasn't caught up with a specific condition symptoms. For instance, millions of children worldwide suffer from functional abdominal pain disorders. And sadly, there are very few medications for effectively treating them. But now, there's an innovative, non-pharmacological, alternative therapy that is proving to be successful. It's called auricular neurostimulation. And today, we'll learn about it from an expert and pioneer in this groundbreaking technology. Dr. Katya Kovacic is an assistant professor, Department of Pediatrics, Division of Gastroenterology, at the Medical College of Wisconsin and a key member of the Auricular Neurostimulation Program at Children's Wisconsin. As a pediatric gastroenterologist, she commonly treats young patients with a variety of functional abdominal pain disorders. Functional GI disorders are very common in the community and worldwide. They affect almost 20% of the general population. And the prototype functional GI disorder is called irritable bowel syndrome, or IBS. That's manifested by chronic abdominal pain, usually several times per month. So you have typically constipation or diarrhea with a lot of belly pain, often related to stooling. And there's others. One big syndrome within the functional nausea and vomiting disorders is called cyclic vomiting syndrome. And at MCW, we have a very large center for CVS. So those patients have a very disabling migraine-related disorder that presents with episodes of relentless nausea and vomiting. So they're very disabled during these vomiting cycles. We've done an entire show on CBS. We encourage you to go back and check out episode number 62 of our show to learn more. 
So what's known about the underlying mechanisms for this group of functional abdominal pain disorders? Dr. Kovacic says, sadly, There's very little knowledge about the exact pathophysiology for functional GI disorders in general, but we are learning more and more through research. Including more recent findings related to patients suffering from irritable bowel syndrome. We have pretty good evidence that there's a problem with the brain-gut signaling, and there's abnormal signaling happening from the crosstalk between the brain and the gut, and now there's more evidence that brain regions perhaps are communicating improperly with each other, and it's called the functional connectivity between different regions of the brain. So there's a problem with the crosstalk and how information is perceived. Or to explain it another way. It's really nothing probably wrong with the actual hardware of the patient, but maybe more of a software problem where there's a signaling issue. And sometimes these things are sort of looked at as benign, but they're not. They're very disabling. They can be a huge health burden. And to add to that problem, when we don't know why the signaling is problematic, then we obviously don't have directed treatments. Contributing to these functional abdominal pain disorders, impairing a child's health, and impacting their quality of life. I see patients all the time that spending two, three hours of the day in the bathroom, they feel like they have belly pain constantly, they have cramping, and they may have horrible nausea with eating, can't keep food down. Sometimes there is weight loss. It's so bad that patients really cannot maintain nutrition. (laughs) It's affecting them. As you can imagine, all of this can cause stress in a child's life, and it often does which, Dr. Kovacic says, compounds the problem. Stress typically worsens these disorders. We don't exactly know why, but it makes sense that if the brain gut signaling is kind of hypersensitized, something that stresses out that person, maybe escalating the pain signalings. Leading to yet another issue. There's the stigma then that perhaps some of these patients suffer from psychiatric disorders, and that's problematic in addressing anxiety and stress reduction. Mindfulness therapies can be very, very effective. They can be effective for many things, and they probably do help calming down this aberrant signaling. But it's inaccurate to say that these are psychiatric disorders. Still, the stigma exists. Doctors say, oh. This is probably in your head. And patients are struggling. Their families don't know if their child is truly depressed or anxious. They're just stressed out. The more unresolved medical problems we have, the more anxiety you have. So you can probably see how this can be a really, really negative circle and create a lot of stress for these children and teenagers. What have traditional or typical treatments for these disorders been? Traditional approach has been to broadly suppress this hyperactivity. And the way to do that is antidepressants because they work on these receptors that kind of calm you down and calm down this nerve signal. We've gone away from using opioids. They don't work and they make the disorders worse. So traditionally, we're really a little bit at loss. Also of concern are the side effects pharmacological treatments can have, especially on children. There's a heavy focus on drugs that do a lot of things to children, and that is problematic. They have many effects, outright dangerous for kids. They can have opposite effects on mood. You can see suicidality, mood disorders, adverse reactions to these drugs. Which is why alternative treatments are needed and being researched. There's a lot of data coming out on cognitive behavioral therapy, mindfulness therapies, alternative medicine approaches that are very promising. So that's an area where we really should focus our minds, but traditionally Western medicine has been very pharmacologically oriented. In fact, Dr. Kovacic herself developed a non-traditional, non-pharmacological alternative treatment for functional abdominal pain disorders 
something she's long been determined to do. When I was a fellow in pediatric GI, I was interested in functional bowel disorders and how to better treat them. And one of my mentors showed me a paper on ear stimulation, how pain was reduced with a simple buzzing of the ear with a device used in Europe. And they were showing some interesting effects on brain pathways. So I started looking for a source that could provide electrical stimulation to the ear and we could start a clinical trial. We'll hear about her clinical trial later. But first, Dr. Kovacic explains the therapy it involves, known as auricular neurostimulation. Auricular neurostimulation is an alternative medicine therapy based on an electrical stimulator that delivers stimulation to the outer ear, thereby affecting specific cranial nerves and affect the brain and gut signaling and improve pain and functional GI symptoms. But how exactly does nerve stimulation in the ear positively impact abdominal pain disorders. She explains the science behind it. The ear is very interesting because there are some cranial nerves that travel through the skull and the cranial nerve number 10 is called the vagus nerve and that travels through the brainstem down through the entire GI tract except for the very end of the colon. These nerves are fascinating. If you can stimulate the vagus nerve, you have enormous potential for improving many different medical conditions. She further explains how the vagus nerve is one of a more complex system of nerves. The vagus nerve is one part of the autonomic nervous system that handles involuntary functions of the body, so the heart, the breathing, the digestion, and there's two parts to that, the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. Those two need to be in balance. If they're out of balance, you may have digestive problems, even cyclic vomiting syndrome, and there's a lot of evidence that those things are out of whack. So this autonomic nervous system, it's what I think is out of balance in these functional GI disorders, and we don't know if that's happening in all of the patients, but there's plenty of data suggesting that. What's the difference between the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous systems? The parasympathetic nervous system is essentially the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve signals the majority of those signals in the parasympathetic nervous system. And that's the one that handles calmness, digestion, rest and digest, whereas the sympathetic nervous system is the fight or flight that kicks in when you are anxious. And I'm simplifying things, but those two being out of balance is sort of the core behind these disorders and how we think this is working. It's not 100% certain that it's only the vagus nerve that's being stimulated in the ear because there's not an easy way to measure the function of that vagus nerve but I perceive that that's the way these disorders are presenting with an imbalance in the autonomic nervous system and if we can create a better balance between the sympathetic and the parasympathetic then we may improve the functioning of the entire autonomic circuits and that's how we may improve these bowel disorders. But in order to test this idea she needed a device that could deliver nerve stimulation to the vagus nerve so with the help of others she developed one. The device is called uh, IB Stim and it's distributed by the Innovative Health Solutions Company. The IB Stim. What exactly is this device? It's fairly simple. There's a small battery pack, a little bit looking like an old school hearing aid that goes behind the ear and then it's connected to four different electrodes. Three of them are placed in the front side of the ear and actually pricks the skin a little bit. It's not painful. It's a little bit of a field stimulation to the entire ear rather than a specific exact nerve area. So there's three electrodes on the front of the ear and one in the back. 
And so the key concept of the device is... You actually penetrate the skin to deliver neurostimulation closer to the nerve, and the stimulus alternates back and forth as far as the amplitude and frequencies. Then it goes on and off as well. So the concept is that we don't want to oversaturate and overstimulate that nerve. The stimulator is kicking in on and off all the time, therefore much more effective than units that are actually not penetrating the skin. What's the routine for patients wearing the device? You wear it night and day. That battery lasts for five days, and you get a little break. And the next week, you come back and get a new one. So it's actually a chronic therapy concept behind it. Because the IB-STEM device delivers a field of stimulation to the entire ear, Dr. Kovacic admits... Now, what we don't know is this truly a vagal nerve stimulator, or is it affecting other cranial nerves? Because there's several others that are potentially stimulated, and which ones we exactly are working with. We need more data, but there's a decent chance that this is affecting the vagus nerve in particular. But what she does know is that the IB stim is uniquely different from other devices designed to deliver vagal nerve stimulation. Vagal nerve stimulators are used for epilepsy and for depression, actually. But those stimulators are implantable neurosurgical procedures that you implant a stimulator onto the nerve in the chest. So that's an invasive procedure. Here you actually have an area on the outer body that the vagus nerve branches out, so you could apply a stimulator and you could potentially affect that nerve. You may be wondering, do patients feel the device delivering electrical stimulation to the ear? Most people feel nothing. Some people describe a sense of a pulsation in the ear, and that's still not painful, but most people don't actually sense it. It also doesn't interfere with a patient's day-to-day activities. Not too much anyway. The nice part is that you can exercise. We have people playing football and horseback riding. and It can be a little bit annoying, of course, when you want to take a nice shower and this thing can not get wet. It's water-resistant but not waterproof. So it's really neat because you can really continue all your normal activities unless you're a competitive swimmer, then it's not a good option. Another question she gets frequently, how long will the IB stim ease a patient's functional abdominal pain? Well, I've seen a year, I've seen 15 months, I've seen people not come back at all after just the four-week course. I also see patients who finish the four weeks and their symptoms return as soon as they finish and they sort of been dependent on it, which is not what we want. But even those patients like it because they will take a month or two or three in a row of feeling better. So the response is very, very individual, but in general, you have to kind of keep providing some boosts of the treatments over time. Which is why, although auricular neurostimulation has been successful, it's not a cure. The goal is that this works. However, I want to always point out that it's almost never a cure. It's almost like you kickstart something with this patient. They feel better. They start functioning better. They have less pain. They have less nausea. And after a few months, they may need another course of this therapy. So I do want to emphasize that it doesn't seem to be curing things. It's keeping things in check. And over time, you come with repeated cycles. But while not a cure, she and the company she developed the device with are quite pleased with the IB STEM. I came across Innovative Health Solutions, that is the company that have uh, developed this device, and they told me, this will work, let's try it. They've done a wonderful job expanding the therapy to 40 or 50 centers now are using this treatment after we have established initial efficacy data. Data that came from first testing the IB STEM device in clinical trials. Based on functional abdominal pain disorders broadly, a subset of those specifically had irritable bowel syndrome. IBS is often the disorder that gets a lot of attention and as far as FDA approval of things, I think IBS needs to be studied always. And there were about 50 patients with IBS 
that sub-analysis, just like the larger sample showed efficacy of this device compared to a sham or placebo device, and therefore it was FDA approved for irritable bowel syndrome, specifically for adolescents ages 11 to 18. Was this the first clinical trial of its kind? Yes, this was the first clinical trial using this or any similar device for functional bowel disorders. Sadly, prior to this, there was only seven or eight clinical trials in history using drugs for functional GI disorders. This reflects the poor knowledge of the pathophysiology and why they even define clinical trials with drugs that we know are not highly effective. Whereas her device did show significant efficacy. We divided patients up who had the real device and those who had the sham device. Pain severity was marked every week. And a 30% improvement in pain in patients with IBS is a good outcome. So how many patients had a 30% improvement in their pain? 68% in the active treatment arm compared to 28% in the sham treatment group had improvement at least 30% in abdominal pain. Another significant finding. We also looked at an objective assessment on patients functioning on a day-to-day basis. Strikingly, 36% of patients had significant improvement in their functioning in the active treatment group. And that's important because sometimes pain may still be there, but you improve the functioning of the patient. And all with no significant side effects. All there was was, I don't like the way it looks discomfort to the ear, reactions to that adhesively stick on the skin. But in all of our research, there have been no serious side effects. Dr. Kovacic says the early success of the IB-STEM device is rewarding. Nothing's going to work for all of them, but when it works, it's so rewarding. And why I love what I do as far as research for these disorders, this is what makes my day. Well, they can have a successful treatment without a drug. Is the device approved for adults? Nope. At this time, we are left with that one clinical trial, and we need multiple studies, like the one we did, to be replicated for a broader general population. I can't tell you how many adults want to test this out, but they can't. It's not approved for adults. Not yet, but hopefully soon. Because as she sees it, neurostimulation is here to stay. Absolutely. I think this is a new area of therapy for so many conditions. If you know the physiology, you know that this has potential huge impact on many, many conditions, but particularly chronic pain conditions. For the first time, we have a non-invasive treatment option for functional GI disorders, so stay tuned. I think there's a lot more to come here. Dr. Kovacic is right. There is much more to come including on today's show, because next we'll meet someone using the auricular neurostimulation device we just learned about. Let's meet her now. Andrea, I am 18 years old from Madison, Wisconsin. I go to high school. I love to volunteer. I'm also super into you making crafts and hanging out with my friends and siblings. An active lifestyle for a dynamic young woman. I am going to school full-time. I also work two jobs at once, and I have a lot of freedom. Freedom that makes Treya feel... I am feeling pretty great. I definitely have a lot more energy. I get a lot of time to hang out with my friends and work and just do all the things I want to do, and I'm pretty happy. Freedom that most 18-year-olds feel and probably take for granted, but not Treya. In fact, until recently, freedom to live her best life was difficult. Some days, impossible, because... I actually have a couple of conditions, the most prevalent one being cyclic vomiting syndrome, CVS. I also have irritable bowel syndrome, IBS, 
and then just kind of chronic stomach pain and intractable nausea when I'm not in the episode. She's been battling gastrointestinal disorders most of her life. I've suffered with specifically cyclic vomiting syndrome since third grade, though it was atypical because episodes were up to 18 months apart up until about three years ago when they started occurring much more often. And then I got my official diagnosis about two and a half years ago. And as much as you would think receiving a diagnosis like that would be devastating news. Honestly, it was actually a big relief, even though it's a scary disorder. I had spent a very long time being undiagnosed or doubted by doctors, and it was really tough to diagnose. So the diagnosis provided some comfort, though at the time we didn't know a lot of treatment plans. Speaking of being doubted by doctors, remember what Dr. Kovacic said? Doctors say, oh, this is probably in your head. The more unresolved medical problems we have, the more anxiety you have. So you could probably see how this could be a really, really negative circle. And Treya says this did indeed make things harder for her. I had a lot of doctors doubt me because the way I presented was very atypical. But it was really discouraging and provoked a lot of fear and honestly made me feel worse when they said they didn't know what it was or trying to treat me for just anxiety. That was really, really hard. Which is why she was relieved to be diagnosed with CVS. But did she fully understand then how this could impact her for life? My first reaction was, did they just come up with this to give me a diagnosis? Because I had never heard of it before. But I was told that some people outgrow cyclic vomiting syndrome. I also learned by joining an online community that adults still suffered with it. And there's a lot of fear. What were the earliest symptoms of her condition she remembers? Looking back, I was always sick as a kid. Like, for a day I was throwing up. Everyone chalked it up to anxiety. But I identified my first episode, as we call it, when I was in third grade and I was having a surgery. When I woke up from anesthesia, I could not stop throwing up and was hospitalized for a couple weeks. That's my earliest episode that I remember. Making her feel, as a young girl, both very sick and very uncertain. I was really scared. I felt completely out of control in my body. I mean, there was violent retching. I also get a really bad migraine and have sensitivity to any light. And I mean, lots of doctors were coming in, psychiatrists, neurologists, all these people trying to come up with something, but it would take a very long time to get me diagnosed. And in between doctor visits and hospitalizations, her condition was interrupting Treya's day-to-day life. I remember after my first episode, I had to have a tutor just because I missed so much school and my friends didn't completely understand what was going on. They just knew I was sick. The uncertainty extended to her home life as well. I have a lot of siblings, so it was really hard with them. They had to try and understand what was going on when nobody knew what was going on. My parents were at the hospital with me while trying to balance kids at home. And it could get to be really stressful because we didn't really have something to place blame on. And I was feeling pretty angry. Leading to other feelings, like isolation. I felt really, really alone. You know, when you get a diagnosis that people have heard of, you kind of feel like you're part of a community or people who can support you. But if you look to other people like doctors for answers and they don't have any, it is terrifying. How were her conditions treated early on? 
Treya says there have been medications. We've tried everything in the book. Zofran, Excedrin, a lot of migraine meds, pain meds, antipsychotics. They threw at me so many different medications, including one that they usually use for patients with cancer in chemotherapy. And devices. I have a port in place that wires to my heart and they give me nutrition through it. I have a GJ, which is a feeding tube in your stomach which they also tried to give nutrition through it. Even surgeries. I had surgery to treat GERD, which they thought might be making this worse. I had two surgeries for that. And despite all of this... We have tried so many different things, and those weren't really treatments. We just had to keep me alive during my episodes. With mixed results at best. Mostly ineffective, and they didn't help. For years, I was in the hospital two weeks on and then a month off and then back in the hospital for two weeks. I was living in the hospital and everything they threw at me was not working. On top of all of that, her episodes increased over time. I started with not having episodes very often and then the episodes increased in frequency. So having episodes days to weeks apart. Treya was now in her teen years. But she says what should have been the time of her life was no life at all. It was very grim when you can't live your life. I mean, I wasn't living life. I didn't know what to call it. I was always in the hospital, always in the dark. There was a lot of tears and a lot of fear. I did not know if I'd ever be able to live with CBS. Her future outlook. I didn't see much of a future. There was no life that I was living with those symptoms because I could not handle the pain. And it was really, really really tough. Darkness. And then, finally, some light. I have two amazing doctors that work with me at UW Children's Hospital. They were amazing in outreach. They tried everybody in the United States to see who could help me and led me to Dr. Kovacic. It was the first Treya had heard of auricular neurostimulation, and she admits be honest, I did not think it would help because of the amount of things that didn't help. And it seemed so minor given the surgeries and procedures I've had. But I was at the point where anything, give me anything, I just can't keep living like this, put it on me. <laughs> so she gave the IB Stim device a try. The result? It is life-changing and amazing. I could not walk without getting sick during my episodes. I couldn't move. Now I can go into light. So much freedom that I didn't even dream was possible once I started suffering with CVS. Anything I can do right now was very difficult or impossible for me to do without this device. Treya describes the relative simplicity of the device. I wear it on my ear and there are four little stickers with tiny little needles attached to them. They stick right on your ear and then there's wires that lead to a small bean-shaped battery pack that I wear behind my ear. When people see her device, they sometimes have questions leading to some interesting moments. A lot of times I wear my hair down and cover it, but when my hair is up, the thing that has been happening is people assume it's a cochlear implant. <laughs> One person started signing to me. <laughs> I was like, I don't speak that language, but then it is a good time to educate people. Can she feel the device? If they put it over a certain part of my ear, it's kind of a pulsing feeling, and then they just move it around a little bit. But it gave me hope because I could tell it's doing something, definitely electrical. 
Are there any drawbacks to wearing the IB Stim device? I do wish you did not have to get it put on every week. And you can't go in water, so that's hard. It was something that definitely took getting used to, but eventually I did forget about it enough to go in the shower and realize I had it on. And there was a couple buzzing feelings on my ear. Whoops. So I just want to emphasize, going in the shower, don't do that. Got it. But there's far more upside. I just went out to dinner with my friends and then got ice cream afterwards, and that's a huge deal for me. I get to be with my friends. I get to eat. I get to live my life, and that was not happening. Today, Treya says her future looks bright, far brighter than her life before and without the device. It wasn't living. It was very dark being that sick, and it was a place I never want to be in again. So what's next? I'm graduating high school on time, and I will be going on to college. Thanks to those Treya calls her team. How grateful I am for my team. Yeah, Dr. Dr. O'Connell, psychiatrist, Dr. Tapp, and Dr. Kovacic for giving me this device. He is truly amazing and has changed my life for the better. What a wonderful, positive note to end on for this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Our sincere thanks to today's guests, Dr. Katya Kovacic, and special thanks to Treya for sharing her success story with auricular neurostimulation. I hope you've discovered something by listening to today's show, and I'm doubly hopeful that you'll join us again next time. CTSI Discovery Radio airs the third Friday of every month. So make an appointment on your calendar and join us for each episode. On behalf of the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin and all of our affiliate partners and members, I'm Brian Belmer, wishing you happier, healthier days ahead. For more information about research or to listen to the podcast of this or any of our shows on demand, please visit our website at ctsi.mcw.edu. CTSI Discovery Radio is written, produced, and hosted by Brian Belmer in collaboration with WMSE Radio. The CTSI and this program are under the direction of Dr. Reza Shakir.